I think many bright people could just be lost at that stage exactly. because uh, it's so easy to just withdraw in yeah. and, you know, give up. <laughs> like I remember in uh, my fourth grade when I was trying to be more, more courageous and get conversational with kids who are from the city who knew English and kids would laugh at you, Aww. you know, yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. things like that. Welcome to the Araba Podcast, where we leverage science, tech, and art to improve our everyday experiences. Today, I'm so, so excited to welcome our first guest. This person is an author, a creator, and an advocate for self-transformation. It's also someone I consider to be a friend and someone I've looked up to over the years as I first met him as a very green freshman in college. Emmanuel Chirunda, or Sunny, as we used to call you. Thanks so much for being here. It's really great to have you. Likewise. Uh, it's really nice to talk to you, Therese. Uh, but thank you very much for that kind introduction, if I may say. Uh, You're welcome. I'm looking forward to the chat. Great, great. So I kind of introduced you as an author. I thought maybe first you could tell us a bit about the books you've written. You've been busy. Yeah, sure. I've written three books. Uh, my first book was called The Fourth Heritage. I wrote it when I was uh, in the U.S. I wrote it in 2008, 2009. Mm -hmm. The Fourth Heritage is a book about my personal proposal on how Africans who are born with a triple heritage of tribes, foreign religion and colonial heritage, how we can integrate those three elements in a personalized kind of identity. Mm -hmm. My second book is called The Fourth Republic. It's a really short book I wrote in 2011. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's kind of a visionary model of how a society or a community could be organized if the society or the community had people of the caliber uh, that I talked about in my first book. So if there were fourth heritage Africans, what kind of community or country could they be part of? That's mm -hmm. my second book. My third book is called Beyond the Fourth Heritage. I wrote it, published it in 2017. And Beyond the Fourth Heritage is subtitled A Personal View on How You Can go beyond the limiting aspects of your heritages of birth. In short, Beyond the Fourth Heritage is uh, about the idea of each of us going beyond the most dominant identity that we can hold to step into the abstract or the area of pure knowledge, the, the area where whether your identity A or identity B there are some objective facts or knowledge out there. So I explore world knowledge and uh, I try to uh, push the idea that uh, there are universal themes or knowledge areas that uh, all of us, irrespective of our identity, should know and cherish and uh, maybe learn from. Mm. Those are my three books. So it's very much sort of starting from and like the individual, you've mm -hmm. progressed to sort of higher levels. Just mm -hmm. to kind of give us a very quick kind of cliff note, though, if you could 
talk a little bit about the fourth heritage. That means mm. there's the first, the second, and third. Can you briefly cover what those are, how you've laid those out? The first, the second, and third? Yes. Yeah, the first is uh, straight up, it is the indigenous native culture. Mm-hmm. In the African tradition, we have what they call tribes or some people clans, which is pretty much the first level beyond your family, which identifies you in society. Mm. And it identifies you with a name, usually with an ancestral land, uh, sometimes with uh, physical features, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. there's a tribe or a clan or whatever where people are dark and the other ones are lighter or these are tall or some are thin. So the traditional native identity that we get from our African clans and tribes is what I call the first heritage. Okay. Uh, the second one uh, is the the foreign religious impact on Africa. From from the Cape to Cairo, all Africans have either been impacted by Islam or Christianity, and to a less extent, Judaism. So most 70% of Africans will identify themselves as Christians. The other 25 or so Muslims, and then there's a, a minority who have a, who would not identify themselves as those two dominant religions. But whether you are part of them or not, mm-hmm. our society is impacted by those two uh, foreign heritages. For example, we use the Christian calendar and we have Christian public holidays mm-hmm. and uh, Muslim public holidays, Muslim names, Christian names. Sure. So the, the second heritage is the foreign religious impact Mm -hmm. and then the third the third heritage is the colonial aspect of it Mm -hmm. Uh, the colonial or european western impact whether you're traditional or you're religious there's a third element uh, which comes to us through the colonial education systems that we internalize throughout our lives or through the language per se, like we are talking in a, a third in heritage English. language, which <laughs> uh, is absolutely. English. Yes, yeah. Yes. And uh, there are Africans whose third heritage is Portuguese, others English, others French. And uh, there's uh, a, a peculiarity or a unique uh, identity that comes from what type of third heritage your country or your community was under so those are the three the traditional the tri- the traditional slash tribal the religious and then the colonial so like a kind of a layer of there's the first layer of paint the second one the third one and mm-hmm. the whole makes makes up a, a lot yeah. of who we are and what about the fourth so the fourth is if i can say it in simple terms it's just the individualized framework on how to pick the positive aspects of those three and internalize them as your identity. Mm-hmm. And uh, there are many aspects of this. That's why I call the book The Fourth Heritage and the whole book I'm trying to explain this individualization process. But uh, in first of all, 
the whole reason why I wrote the fourth heritage or how I, the reason why I came up with the fourth heritage is because they are limiting all negative aspects from the triple heritages, from the traditional triple heritages. Mm -hmm. And these negative aspects bring about conflict, identity conflicts or constraints on some people and basically some societal limitations or even psychological personal limitations on how people identify themselves and how society identifies themselves. Mm. Um, there are several examples, but uh, uh, if there is an element, for example, from our traditional heritage that is pre-modern, I don't want to use the word <laughs> primitive, or, mm -hmm. but uh, if it does not help you to function well in the modern society, then if you try to leave that back or ignore it, you come into a community conflict with your relatives in that they would expect you to embrace everything about their traditional heritage, even what you may consider negative. I mean, I don't have to say whole list, but mm -hmm. there are practices where modern times we don't condone, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, for example, there the was case things like some tribal people made circumcised girls for cultural reasons mm -hmm. uh, or some cultural expectations uh, for someone to get married at a certain age mm -hmm. and to a certain person in terms of arranged marriages. So if you, based on your personal volition, you are against such a, a traditional practice, I try to lay out a thinking framework or where and how you can navigate and uh, be able to hold on to what is positive from any of the three heritages and uh, find the courage or boldness to to shine or to say no to what you consider negative and go beyond and go beyond that which is then the <laughs> the latest book uh, yes. I, I, I want to emphasize that. what you said there about conflict you're not talking about interpersonal conflict necessarily only or intercountry conflict you're literally talking about conflicts within individuals like within yes. themselves psychological yes right internal mm -hmm. right. internal conflicts yes yeah, Which yeah but actually mm -hmm. but actually <laughs> they can boil over into societal of course <laughs> intercommunity but uh, yeah my yeah my starting point is the internal yeah that's excellent. And uh, obviously, this, these are not things you've kind of pieced together from here and there. A lot mm. of this came from your own experience, your own analysis, your own study of, mm. of many, many things in history. It's, it's obviously quite a lot of work. I know some of these books are very large. I, I thought it'd be interesting if you could tell us, you mm. know, were you, were you a writer as a child? What, what got into you to start doing mm. this? Yeah, good question. Uh, the answer is no. <laughs> I wasn't. I wasn't a writer as a child. Mm -hmm. uh, literally, the education I I had in Uganda was uh, traditionally what they call a science education. Mm -hmm. So from primary school, where you are not writing, you're trying to know how the ABC and how the sun is not the moon. So 
in primary school, I would not say I did any writing. I was just getting basic education. Mm -hmm. So when I went to secondary school, I was one of the kids who were just doing physics, chemistry, math, biology, you know. Mm -hmm. So I never did any writing class per se. So I got into it. I'm a late bloomer, if I may say. Okay. Uh, I got I got into the whole writing thing after my first year in university, Lafayette College. Mm -hmm. Yeah, my first year at Lafayette, I got to be part of the write a writing class called Writing One Hundred One, in which I actually learned the mechanics of writing mm -hmm. in terms of drafting and. Uh, paraphrasing and structuring and all that good stuff. So once I knew the mechanics, a year or a couple years later, I just got an urge that I had some knowledge in my head that I've gotten through experience and through studies. And uh, I had an urge to put them into writing. And since I knew the structure or the mechanics of writing, I was just like, hey, I can do it. That's that's excellent, yeah. and I know you've you know you cover quite a lot of very helpful topics mm. in the books, um, mm. and I thought you could give us a kind of a quick, um, mm. you know, cliff notes on on a couple of things. The first is mm. uh, why is it important to acknowledge shortcomings? Why is it important to acknowledge shortcomings? Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I can think of mainly two reasons. Um, shortcomings will make you they will increase your authenticity mm -hmm. because every person deep down especially even those who deny shortcomings everyone deep down knows something that they are not good at they are not knowledgeable about so if you can come out and uh, publicly acknowledge your shortcoming it is very natural for the audience to relate that you're being authentic. Mm. So uh, I would say the first uh, importance for uh, shortcomings is authenticity. It increases your authenticity. Uh, mm. Secondly is relatability. Mm. You know, you need to relate to your audience or if you're a leader, you need to relate to the people you're leading or even uh, parents you know you need to relate to your kids and uh, if if someone can know that you are human uh, as they say because mm. human means being imperfect if someone can know that you are human just like them mm -hmm. then it just gives them an opening yeah. to relate easier with you as opposed to if you're mr superman I mean, everyone just feels, oh, geez, I, I can't but, even, I'm, I, yeah. I'm, I can't even touch his his shirt or something because he's so superior. He has no flow. So, mm -hmm. no, shortcomings help people to feel relatable. So, for others, what about for within the, the individual? Um, is there, you know, is there, for example, something that you, a shortcoming that you had, and after mm -hmm. acknowledging it, somehow, mm -hmm. you know, magic happened or? Mm -hmm. Uh, no, um, it, within an individual, okay, uh, two things, but the first one is within an individual, if you can acknowledge that I have this shortcoming, then you've kind of crystallized their problem and uh, 
got it from the outside, from the inside to the outside. Mm -hmm. So you have either verbalized it or you have written it down. And the whole dynamic of you hearing that or reading it that you've, you've written this, you know, this is what I need to work on. Mm -hmm. There is something magic, magic that happens in your head in, in that you zero in, or as they say, now the universe conspires to help to you, help you. Mm -hmm. to help you solve that shortcoming. Mm -hmm. uh, so they say, name, name the problem. Yeah, 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 you've heard of this. Name the problem. If you haven't named the problem, then the problem doesn't exist. Mm. So even you, if you're shy and you you say, you know what, I'm shy, mm -hmm. then you know you've put a name to the problem. And as you're going through life or as you're doing your business, that shyness thing, mm -hmm. you will be easy. You it will be easy for you to see instances of it in other people or what you're reading or whatever you're going through and you will be able to connect how it's being overcome or how you yourself you what you can do to make it go away so it crystallizes the problem and once a problem is crystallized then the potential solutions also start crystallizing so so it's very much step one of many because yeah. I know people sometimes get afraid they're like well if I acknowledge this then that means yeah. that's the end yeah mm. <laughs> yeah that, that's why that's why you've had this uh, this saying that if you say what the problem is you've solved it 50 percent mm. I don't know if you've had that like if mm. you can name a problem then you're 50 percent there right Right. So that means there is no way to overcome any shortcomings. Zero chance mm -hmm. unless you first acknowledge it, because uh, acknowledging it, as the saying says, is kind of fifty percent. Because now you have a target, which can be uh, solved. And then the the other thing I was uh, gonna say is, mm, from ex from the external world, when you when you verbalize or acknowledge your shortcoming mm. then there are people and their resources which will come to mm. to help mm. Mm -hmm. you know just imagine you you write on your facebook feed or twitter or whatever mm -hmm. you know what I, I have a problem with this i need for example twenty thousand dollars for this uh, big project i'm doing or whatever it is and i want to do uh, crowdfunding Mm -hmm. eh? mm -hmm. It's possible, depending on what it is, that uh, total strangers can be step inspired in. to say, can step in to help you. So, yeah. otherwise, if you hadn't uh, verbalized or acknowledged uh, your deficiency, you have no chance at all. Mm. So not only acknowledge it, but even mm. potentially publicize it, and and that mm -hmm. takes a lot of courage. That yeah. Yeah, and maturity. It takes maturity. <laughs> mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, have there been moments, you know, while you were writing the books where mm. that, you know, you can really say that there were, it was a step that took a lot of courage? A little courage? Yeah, the, the whole writing. <laughs> <laughs> From 80. The whole writing. Yeah. Yeah. But, but uh, courage, that's a little different from shortcomings. So, yeah. What exactly are you 
you're saying like where i showed shortcomings or or where you actually showed courage or you consider yeah. looking back that that was really um mm. courageous and you acknowledge mm. because you know what yeah. might be courageous to someone else might not be you know mm. to to you mm. right yeah no definitely i think the biggest and the first one that came right out out of bat was uh, in my first book in the first first chapters actually the introduction introduction where i wrote about my childhood and the and the childhood experience that uh, occurred to me when i was very young in terms of loss family loss or poverty or uh, kind of things like that mm -hmm. and me showing how it affected me psychologically mm. yeah you know some like i've talked to people who say they read that stuff and they felt sad or they felt like touched or so i kind of showed the vulnerability yeah. and uh i guess in the actual sense it was a courageous thing to right. show that you know what this is where i came from and i was able to write it and then just show the my metamorphosis you know like how i went about changing and at the end when i talk about the same things i'm very clear to show a changed perspective about those same things that through my life i was able now to have this different take on the same thing that when i was young i was it was very traumatizing or uh, kind of uh, something that some people may want to keep away from the public limelight sure sure yeah um, definitely even in terms mm. of so geography way mm. of life understanding yeah. of the world uh you talk mm. about your childhood in a village in mm. ganda right mm. um mm -hmm. for anybody who hasn't read the books can you give us a 30 second teaser mm. so that mm -hmm. people can look forward to uh, yeah. picking up that it is a, of my life in uganda yes in, in very village. early child, yeah They were very early yeah i mean uh, uh looking back i think i would say it's fascinating mm -hmm. okay <laughs> it's fascinating yeah because uh, yeah i grew up in a small town and my parents never went to school so mm -hmm. uh when i was growing up one year two years three four five they kind of didn't think about taking me to school Yeah. Oh, it was one of those things. It wasn't a big priority. I mean, maybe when they didn't have money. Mm -hmm. But uh, I, I remember this because when I was around six, I remember I have some faint memory. I used to, I used to play around the neighborhood, and uh, there was a garage next to our our house where these men used to to work on cars, and they were my first friends that I remember. Because mm -hmm. I used to go there dancing and doing all these kind of things, and they would give me candy and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And uh, uh, and it's those men who who I remember talk talk to my parents, and they were like, "You should get this kid to go to school because I was starting to be too smart for my <laughs> for my age, something yeah. like that." Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. So when I was seven, mm -hmm. that's old. That's when my father was like, you know what? Let the kiddo go in this school, you know, mm -hmm. uh, grade one. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think that's fascinating. And uh, a little bit older than that is uh, uh, the whole idea of 
you go to school and they are teaching in English. Mm. But you come home and no one speaks English. Yeah. You know, so yeah. I I have my existence, which is in my tribal language, Lusoga, with my mother and everyone I know. Mm-hmm. And then you walk to school and the teachers beat you if you speak your tribal language. So mm-hmm. you you are just quiet most of the time, trying to bubble ABC and the little words that you know. So uh, that was kind of not traumatizing, but it just makes learning really, really hard. And yeah. uh, it's one of the things that as I grow old, I reflect on and realize it's a big handicap that huge, uh, huge handicap like for us Africans that I think many bright people could just be lost at that stage exactly. because uh, it's so easy to just withdraw in yeah. and you know give up <laughs> like I remember in uh, my fourth grade uh, when I was trying to be more more courageous and get conversational with kids who are from the city who knew mm-hmm. English mm-hmm. I would always speak my tribal language in English and kids would laugh at you Aww. you know yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah okay. things like that so yeah, yeah you know that's so, real that was, that's real and <laughs> that's it, real yeah it's real and, it, and, and uh, anyways, you know, th- those behaviors you can keep for life right mm, yeah you can keep for life it can keep you to just withdraw it can uh, uh, keep you in a, a place where you feel inadequate and uh Mm. especially for us who never had parents who would help you in that mm. it can be really a lonely journey right yeah, right lonely journey yeah fascinating um <laughs> one of the things that i really like mm. about the approach that you've taken is mm. all those things happened everything mm-hmm. happened and mm-hmm. the more exciting thing is where do we go from here Right? Where do mm-hmm. we go from the moment you come to the realization that these various things actually happened in life? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you know, we can sit and, and complain about this person's fault and that person's fault, but you actually came up with a framework yeah. to mm-hmm. give people mm-hmm. a roadmap on how, you know, mm-hmm. once you've had a chance to become aware uh, mm-hmm. of everything that may have happened to you, wh- mm-hmm. what do you do? Or, or even yeah. how do you go about becoming aware? Yes. For me, is is really powerful because mm. it, it's one thing to know, but once you can start doing things, then really mm-hmm. magic happens, right? So, talk yep. to us about Edisac. Mm. Yeah, so Edisac is um, the latest, uh, the latest model that I've come up with to bring all the ideas in my three books mm-hmm. together in a simple a simple buzzword or simple framework I've called EDISAC. Mm-hmm. So if you read my books, which are uh, almost a thousand pages. Um, <laughs> you were not playing. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Hey, yeah. Good luck doing that. I don't expect uh, most people except my best friends or those who really care, who know me very much uh, to really devote that time and effort. So the thing is, I've come up with this very simplified way to look at the whole body of my books. And uh, I've created a a simple paper which 
I hope to publicize uh, soon in the next couple months. Mm -hmm. So EDISAC is kind of the, a simple way to show the whole spirit of my writing. Mm -hmm. If you are to read the three books, you may keep asking, why is this? How is he saying this? And all that, why is he saying this? So through EDISAC, because I wrote all the 1,000 pages, I've been able to extract out the higher value that I want to communicate and uh, synchronize all these ideas into six, uh, six elements, six themes. The first one is E, which stands for an era from our past. D stands for dominant identity. I stands for individuation. S stands for searching or exploring the world. A stands for articulation. And C stands for civilizational existence. The way I write about these six themes encapsulates everything in my book. Mm -hmm. So basically, I'm saying that, uh, and EDSAC is specifically for the African audience. So I've extracted out the elements from my books that more so to do with the African experience. Through EDSAC, I'm saying that this is a, a thinking framework, which starts with the fact that we as Africans must accept and be honest and be truthful to say there was an era uh, historically that led us to end up on the short end of history right now as the modern world uh, is being experienced. We have all kinds of problems back mm -hmm. home and wherever we are. So step one we, is error. Recognize yeah, it, admit it, step yes. or step yeah. zero even before you go anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yes, before you can get anywhere. Start okay. by accepting the error because it just gives you what we talked about, authenticity and relatability. And it just grounds you to be talking about real things as opposed to being in denial. Mm. Uh, everyone, uh, every civilization, every culture have their own problems. Mm. So we also have our problems, but ours have been very, very consequential. So I crystallize what those, those errors have been. Mm -hmm. And then I say that uh, those errors are what have led to the current situation whereby the dominant identities that we have are not African. And Within that's the second the D, uh, piece. This and for, yeah, dominant for identity. Document. Yeah, okay. Domi dominant identity. So because of some errors, historically, they've led to a situation where we don't have any of our indigenous identities as dominant. What I mean is, uh, in regard to the foreign religions, they dominate the spirituality now, as we know it throughout Africa. People will will raise the islamic banner or the christian bible over uh, traditional spirituality yeah, mm -hmm. so i'm very confident to say like in terms of that relationship the foreign element is dominant and then the political economical uh, the western economic system or capitalism or communism all these things are dominant over any of the indigenous economic, political thought 
that we could have. So D is, the fact is that the dominant identities or influences we have now are from outside because of the errors. And so, so as, as sort of seekers, we have to uh, attempt to identify those? Is that the Yes. No. As seekers, yeah, that's a good question. As seekers, we need to realize that if we are going to be strong Africans, we cannot be strong Africans when our dominant identities are not African. So Or are confused. I'm, yeah. <laughs> so I'm trying to say, because our dominant identities are non-Africans, we are in a situation where we are basically transitional Africans. We are being civilized from our traditional tribal ways into these non-African, whether Islamic, Arab, Arab, Arabic stuff or Western European civilization. We are being, all our educations, all our education systems are kind of transitioning us to keep these dominant identities that are not uh, traditional. Mm -hmm. So in order for us to overcome the dominant identities being foreign, mm -hmm. we need to go to the next element, which is the I, which is the individuation. Mm -hmm. uh, I say, in order for us to have any chance of writing, writing the ship, uh, mm -hmm. We need to first be autonomous thinking individuals. Mm. And that is the whole message of the first book. Mm. How do you individualize? You individualize by picking the positives from the triple heritages. And uh, I call that framework, the fourth heritage framework. Mm -hmm. uh, it's when you are an autonomous individual that you will then go into the fourth step, which is searching or exploration of the world, mm -hmm. pretty much. Uh, this is similar to what you read about in, in literature as the hero journey. Yeah. Like I'm trying to say it's only the individuated people who can go out physically in the world or even read great books of wisdom, searching, exploring for the truth. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's if enough of us go through that fourth step of searching, that we shall come to the fifth, which is articulation. And I specifically say, once we have each garnered the wisdom that we, through our searching process, then we must, as Africans, must articulate that newfound wisdom in written form. Mm. Uh, not in songs and the oral tradition, which has been our, our, our culture, but we must get and appreciate the whole culture of articulating our original thoughts mm. in a way that other Africans can partake of. And uh, it's and through that, mm -hmm. sorry. I was just going to say that there's to emphasize the emphasis, sorry, to emphasize the importance mm -hmm. of uh, articulating in written form. And is that mm -hmm. so that it doesn't disappear? Yes, partly. So it doesn't disappear, but also so we we stand a chance of not being dominated. <laughs> okay. <laughs> because okay. all these things that we are transitioning into mm -hmm. as Africans are largely based on what those people wrote. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so the only chance we have of not being dominated 
both in our countries and out here, mm-hmm. is if there's something written that we can identify with, that you can understand, that you can, that we can see has our soul. Mm. Yeah. yeah, like when you read the Chinese text, you can see the Chinese soul. When you read Arabic stuff, you can see the Arabic soul. Mm-hmm. So what I'm saying, there are things we can artic- only ask and articulate Great. in the African lens that show the African soul that is not European Christianity or Islamic Arab stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm. Okay. And then yeah. So, yeah, so it's through um, our articulations that we shall have healthy debates, hopefully, in the public square. And uh, the consensus from that debate is what will lead to the last uh, item, which I called civilization ex- existence. Mm-hmm. We need to define <laughs> the civilization existence in the modern era for us Africans. I mean, are we, there are so many things pulling us. Mm. There's so many global uh, events, cultures pulling us. Mm. And what, what you can call our culture or civilization is either oral or it is weak. That is why many of our kids just end up speaking on a European languages or they will leave Africa and have better lives outside Africa or have all kinds of psychological or identity conflicts, which mm-hmm. I will go in more details about. But uh, basically, uh, we need to define a kind of a civilization existence that someone from South Africa and someone from Nigeria and someone from East Africa can all say, you know what, beyond my tribe, beyond my colonial country, this is the thing I hold on to as the way I exist in this modern civilization. Mm. So actually that is the biggest component of EDSAC because I go into aspects of written language and nationhood and uh, knowledge retention and all that kind of stuff. Mm. Yep, that's EDSAC. <laughs> <laughs> just six yeah. letters, but yeah, a lifetime worth of work <laughs> to yeah. implement yeah. it, to learn about it, <laughs> to live it, right? Yeah. But it's an, it's an excellent challenge and it's, it's great that it's sort of the mm. challenge at the individual level, but at the mm-hmm. end of that, you know, you can mm. begin to to create really mm. long-lasting and, and change. Mm. Yeah, um, and community change. It starts yeah. with the individual, but then it ends on the collective because yeah. in the end, yeah, you have to connect with society. Yeah, and particularly on this point of articulating uh, mm-hmm. another point um, mm-hmm. I think you make is also that, you know, to be able to articulate clearly, you really have to think it through. Mm-hmm. So you're not sort of spewing half, half-baked half ideas, which sometimes waste, you know, it wastes your time, everybody's time, people get upset, mm-hmm. you know, but if you really had time to yeah. think things through, then it's a lot more powerful, is it? Mm-hmm. True, true. Um, so that's that's really great and, and uh, thank you for kind of summarizing it in that way like the point of this kind of these conversations the way i see it is to leverage everything we know science technology are to improve our everyday lives and mm-hmm. um i have a particular interest in encouraging people 
and makers to dare to make, right? Mm -hmm. uh, there's there's so much you you sort of covered the the surface, and we could do like mm -hmm. seventy five classes, I think, with you. But I thought you know, in addition to the framework, which is obviously very very helpful, and people mm -hmm. need to go and, and and ponder that and interiorize that. Are there any mm -hmm. kind of quick tips you have for Mm. for people to just start you know like just mm. get started yeah getting started with a cre creation creation or with making with you uh, know, sort of getting out of, of yeah yeah getting out, out of the gate exactly yeah, yeah. just to get out of the gate <laughs> exactly yeah because yeah. it's hard there's a lot yeah. of resistance mm. yeah you know i think my biggest um, advice would be uh, of course, you're asking this for people who are not professional in this. They are trying to just start either the creation or in terms of writing or whatever other venture they are thinking about. Yeah. So starting means you are not professional. You are not perfect. You are not uh, uh, an expert at, at whatever you're trying to start. That's how I understand it. That's so, powerful. I'll say that one yes, more time. <laughs> yes. So... You, once you understand that, then yeah. start slow and start small. Yeah. Eh? yeah. I can't say it better than that. Yeah. Start slow, start small. Yeah. Um, and uh, in my Facebook postings, for example, uh, I've been posting uh, for the last maybe seven weeks or so. I talk about how I started my writing. I did not start writing three books. No. Mm -hmm. I did not even start writing a book. No. I started by writing a small paper. Yeah. yeah. So I started small. I started, yeah, it, it ended up being a 20-page paper. And then I realized, oh, you know what? I have more stuff to put in here. So it became a 50-page paper. Mm. And then over time, I was like, you know what? I have time. Let me do some more research. And then that's how it became a 290-page book. So that's excellent. The advice is start small because you're not an expert, you're not a professional, and with the time you can be an expert. And and what about you know people will 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 say things you are afraid mm. of what they think and mm. especially if you know already you know that you're bad isn't that yeah. the quickest way to not do anything at all? Yeah. Now <laughs> that one is tough. That one is really tough because now there it gets into people's personalities and psychological make in yeah. terms of the demons they may be having mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so if, if let's assume if you are not beyond a, a traumatic experience such that you won't even start mm -hmm. eh? mm -hmm. because something bad happened in your life and you're just immobilized if you are normal which I mean you, you are not that badly off as far as your psychology is made, your mm -hmm. self-worth, then really you just have to realize it is up to you to be authentic about yourself, but then more so to be, uh, to let your, 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 your real you, your, your deepest sense of you be shared, be shared with other people. Mm -hmm. uh, because it, it can't be that you're just bad or you're just weak. There's something about you that is noble. There's something about you that is smart, that is beautiful, that is 
unique. Innate. And innate, That's, right? Yeah, yeah, innate. Yeah, there's yeah. something about it that's innate. Yeah. So if you can start there, that is something about it that's innate, that is unique, mm -hmm. that is worth, then you have to realize there is someone there who would find so much value or who would be touched yeah. by it. Like, th that is a law of nature. There is yeah. no way you can say you put out there a song or a book or a movie and no one will be touched. No mm -hmm. way. That's because not possible. <laughs> that's, it's not possible. So yeah. w once you know your worth, you have something of value innately, mm -hmm. then put it out there and you'll be amazed. Personally, I have been amazed. And it's through the feedback, it's through the reception by usually random people that fuels my continuation of writing. Yeah. You know, yeah. if some stranger comes out, he sends you an email and he's like, wow, I'd never thought about this. But mm -hmm. when I read this in your book, it mm -hmm. really, really changed the way I look at my relations, the way I look at what I can do. So when you get something like that, it really is a dose. It's like a steroid for your yeah. whatever you're trying to do. So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I can say is yeah, look inside yourself, find that personal worth and yeah it will be received yeah when i i sort of there's a newsletter that we send out regularly and the, the um, closing is always remember you're incomparable and mm. i i think i write it for other people and also for myself to say you know what at, at the end of the day there's not a, there's no one else on this earth who's lived what you've lived and mm -hmm. so you know show up you mm. know and, yeah and wow that's a good one and, yeah yeah um, so I do. I'd like that. Yeah. No, no, no. That is so true. You know, um, uh, I remember I was uh, a couple of years ago, actually, when I was writing my third book, I came across this whole genre of philosophy, existentialism. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've heard about it. Mm -hmm. And uh, I read about this guy who was one of the big existentialism uh, philosophers, ended up being controversial in some ways, but that's not the point he he someone was asking him how do you define worth in living how do you define or try to convince everyone that they are worth living mm. they're worth existing and whatever and uh, he responded by <laughs> by saying you know what there's some givens in life mm -hmm. there's some givens in life everyone was born, right? Yeah. <laughs> yes, that's a given. And everyone would die. Fact. Everyone would die. So this guy said, for such people, I encourage them, let them go and take a walk in a cemetery. And just think about all those people there and you realize they were and they are not. Mm. They were and they are are not mm -hmm. and what's the difference mm -hmm. <laughs> why, why why were they there in the first time and now they are not the only difference has to be in between there right. they existed and what is there to show That's for the existence Ooh. if there's nothing then why do they why were they even born so if if you don't get encouraged by that, you'll never be encouraged. 
So just just go ahead and live your life. <laughs> you leave. Like, yeah. Just show that you have lived. How about that? Yes. Yes. Like just do something to show like you as a unique human being. Yeah. Has been there between birth and death. Right. Otherwise, there's no reason why your your mother went through that pain. <laughs> you know, um, one of the things that you know breaks my heart regularly is how much mm-hmm. talent we have on the continent that's just mm-hmm. dormant. Mm, you know, people yeah. have enormous talent, and so mm-hmm. I, I really like that uh, kind yeah. of idea of like just just do it, just do it. Yeah, do it. Just uh, show you've been around. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Awesome. Yeah, just do it. Yeah. So, what about the nitty gritty of creating? How do mm. you actually type the words? Mm. Uh, how do you, if you have mm. a, a, a routine, do you mm. how 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 do those words mm. get put on the page? Do you write mm. on the paper? Do you talk to people? Mm. Like how how what's your creative process? Like? Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, I'll talk about myself, but uh, I know so many writers and so many creators have their peculiar ways of doing it. So mm-hmm. this is just me. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I like to think about my writing as a creation. That's why I define myself as a creator. Mm-hmm. A creation, what I mean, in my head, my my brain thinks about these ideas and sentences and phrases and and sometimes I think of diagrams and representations of my ideas, you know. And uh, the engineer in you is showing up. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Yeah? So once I have it in my head, then literally as quick as possible, I put it down on a piece of paper. Usually, or if I'm at my desk, then I write it. So I, I would have. A, a document called notes like mm-hmm. if i'm writing a book the fourth heritage i say fourth heritage notes and then when those ideas come i just throw them there like i don't write them into the book or into the narrative i just put the idea there okay. because another one may come next day I another one may come so the act of writing is actually creating or merging these notes these mm-hmm. ideas that I've had into something, you know, kind of like molding, you know, mm-hmm. like how you can mold something. Mm-hmm. That is how I do it. And uh, the good thing is that when I was in school, I learned how to how to type, you know, like professional typing in terms of using the keyboard. Mm-hmm. So typing for me is really fast. Oh, okay. I'm very efficient at typing. That is a real thing. I know people who don't know how to type and they type with two fingers or three fingers, mm-hmm. you know, uh, because I know the mechanics of typing, then the actual need grid of writing for me. Uh, I'm very efficient with the keyboard. So I use my 10 fingers and write very fast. Mm-hmm. And that is something I learned uh, actually in this last year of high school before I went to university. So that's important uh, to help your your efficiency. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can write more in a short time. Yeah, but um, and just you know, as as we talk about efficiency, I, I do mm-hmm. want to point out that you haven't been a full time writer. You have had mm-hmm. a full life outside of this. 
And yeah. this is probably what you do when the rest of us are watching TV or something. Yes. <laughs> uh, how, how do you fit this in the middle of regular life? Yeah, that's a that's a good observation. Yeah, I I, I never I never think of myself as a writer. As uh, I more think of myself as someone who wrote something. Ah. So yeah, because uh, you're right. I have a day job. I am a I'm a project manager. I've been a project manager for the last uh, eight years or so. And before that, I had a career in an investment bank and a civil engineer. So I've been working full-time jobs since 2005 mm. um, and I've also had I've been very active socially and uh, uh, with my sports uh, I used to do rugby and now I do golf and all okay so I have a full life mm. but uh, when how I write is uh, depending on what I'm doing where I'm doing it if an idea comes in my head that has to do with these these topics I'm passionate about, mm -hmm. which is the transformation of Africans uh, or African general. Mm -hmm. Like, if I'm watching TV and I see something, you know, and an idea pops in my head, I jot it down or I go to my computer and write it. Mm -hmm. And uh, over time, through that process, that impromptu process, mm -hmm. I end up having material. So it's like material a drip by drip, you know. Yeah, drip by drip, definitely. Yeah. Drip by drip uh, around uh, different subjects. And then once I have this, my role is to design now the book or the paper. Mm -hmm. uh, so it, like the EDISAC thing, it's so many random things. Mm -hmm. But I've been able to tie them together in a way that I'm trying to solve the African problem the way I know it. Mm. So once that is the theme or that is the the target, then all these disparate, disparate or different things end up fitting in in a way that uh, augments that outcome or that talks to uh, what I want to achieve. So, yeah, uh, when I do it that way, I don't feel like I'm full-time writing mm -hmm. because I only write when uh, when the ideas come and then on the weekends or at night when I have two or three hours, that's when the, the patching together of those ideas gets done. Mm -hmm. So I get to do my full nine to five and uh, have a full social life. Yeah. Uh, now, now I'm married, so I spend a lot of time at home with my wife, and yeah, um, yeah. So the writing is, uh, it's not a full time thing, and uh, yeah, uh, I don't and, think and, it will be anytime soon. Yeah, <laughs> and it also yeah. means you're really focusing on the essential. What you're writing is, mm. is worth writing. You're not just yeah. sort of filling up pages. Yes, yes, yeah. That's a yeah. good one. Yeah. yeah. So I write what uh, I think is of highest value to me and to my society and uh, to what I consider the world. Mm -hmm. Just yeah. one last quick uh, point. Uh, you, you've talked to me before about uh, mm. sort of when you were writing your books, mm. you, you didn't think many people would read them. Mm. Um, and I know- Oh, I didn't care. Oh, I didn't you care. You didn't care. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I know some people would say, ah, no one would read it anyway. There's no point mm -hmm. in writing it. But you went the other ah. way and said uh, very few people Read it, so I might as well write it authentically. 
Yeah, yeah. Talk a little bit uh, about that. Yeah, no, that is very important. Uh, the way we talk about, the way we, we came to that point, I was trying to say, when you're trying to start something like writing, you have to be crystal clear about the audience or the people that could like your material. Mm-hmm. Is it going to be a mass market or is it going to be people in a specific profession or sector of society? Mm-hmm. Or like in my case, I just thought very few people who kind of uh, my friends or who know of my life or those from Africa who might have lived an authentic a life that is very similar to mine. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was like, I cannot say my writing is sociology or philosophy or whatever, mm-hmm. because I'm writing about a very, very broad set of uh, a set of topics. And because of that, I knew I could not have a mass market because by having a mass market, it means having a contract and the publisher guiding you or restricting how you're going to write because it's going to be to a specific market. So, yeah, you need to know the audience for your intended writing. Mm -hmm. And personally, uh, by knowing that I want to talk to those people who know me or who have lived my similar experience, Mm -hmm. then I could not cheat them by being inauthentic Mm -hmm. or by being uh, politically correct. (laughs) I had to be very authentic and yeah, very personable so that uh, they can, they don't say, oh, we know this guy, but hmm, why is he writing this? Right, right. Yeah, all the people who read, they're like, oh, that's why you do this. That's why you say this. That's why you behave like this. Yeah. You know? Yeah, mm. that, that's excellent. Mm. Well, you know, I want to just take a moment and acknowledge mm. you for being a forward thinker a teacher because you're currently going through the process of breaking down yeah. everything you've you've come up with yeah. and making it into bite-sized pieces mm-hmm. and posting yes. it online yes. which is mm-hmm. very very helpful especially that our attention spans are shrinking mm-hmm. by the day so, <laughs> yes, so yes. thank you for for doing that and no um, implementing plan. some of these ideas mm-hmm. and really you know helping people become mm-hmm. very practical about it uh where yeah. could people find these ideas or find you yeah yeah i have a website uh, which is called fourthheritage.com mm-hmm. that is the number 4 th heritage yeah fourthheritage.com uh, but i'm also on facebook and twitter and uh, my name es chirunda mm-hmm. is, is uh, uh, Emmanuel S. Chirunda. Uh, the Twitter handle is at Chirunda ES. Okay. And uh, I've also created some hashtags like Red Pill Africa and Edisac and Fourth Heritage. If you search any of those hashtags, it will come to my, my uh, postings or my material. And uh, all my three books on Amazon. So great, great. if you can get to Amazon and get, the fourth heritage, the fourth republic, and beyond the fourth heritage in there. Excellent. Thank you so much. I just, you mentioned Red Pill, yeah. and I think we yeah. need to, to, to do a 30 second introduction <laughs> on what that is before okay. we close. Oh, <laughs> uh, sure. No, Red Pill Africa, this is just uh, 
something that I created last week. Uh, it's a play on the whole Matrix, the 1999 blockbuster movie, The Matrix, where the rebel leader gave the main actor a choice to to either take the red pill or the blue pill. And pretty much the red pill was, if you take the red pill, you are gonna stay in Wonderland and see how how the real world is is complicated. And uh, the blue pill is more like, if you take the blue pill, then you don't get to see anything unusual from your from your life. You just stay comfortably and ignorantly blissful in your existence. Mm -hmm. So red pill is just uh, something to show to say that uh, uh, you you can face the tough realities of the world or the hard truth about the world as opposed to staying in dreamland mm -hmm. or wishful thinking. Yeah. So, so red pill Africa. People on a journey, a yeah, very on journey. journey. <laughs> very deep, yeah. As they say in the Matrix, down the rabbit hole. I oh. want to, to <laughs> yeah, talk about kind of the hard realities of our African experience that, unfortunately, our education does not do a good job of, and also the political culture never gets to, because uh, everything is about. Uh, short-term gain or elections and uh, we miss an authentic debate about the real deep root cause problems of our African existence in the modern age so mm -hmm. I want to be more more bold and uh, deal on the hard truths excellent excellent <laughs> well Sunny, thank yeah. you thank you so no, so much no uh, problem to this this was a pleasure yeah and it was a uh, pleasure I, we I, can I, do it again and again and again yeah i feel like there's a lot of material here <laughs> we could go on yeah. for some time for Why everybody not? listening if you enjoyed this go to yaraba.ca slash podcast send us a note and, and tell us what you think sadi thank you yeah. and no problem thank we'll you be, very much well It'll maybe be... we'll be a step one of a few yes why uh, not That's all for today. If you have questions, thoughts, or comments, head to iraba.ca slash podcast and say hello. And as always, our parting words are the same. Remember, you are incomparable. <laughs>